calling out the myths, misinformation, and BS in the wellness industry. This is the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. Here's your host, holistic pharmacist, supplement expert, Big Mouth, Dr. Neil Smoller. Broadcasting from the most famous small town in America, it is the podcast that pulls the curtain back on the natural products industry. This is episode 80, Immune Health, Eat This, Not This. It's one of those listicle type shows. Guess who's back, everybody? Dana's back. Hi, Dana. But she's not here. She's not here because she can't move. So she's just crippled and in bed and uh, dealing with her knee pain. And eventually we'll be back live. Uh, How did I do without you, Dana? Not too bad. I was engaged when I was listening after the fact. All right. Well, that's good. I'm glad that it was interesting for at least you who was bored by everything I say. So (laughs) that's true. I I guess like I got some stuff that I want to talk about before we get into the normal show and when we talk about immune health and such. So I don't know. One of the things that's rattling around in my head right now is this uh, high dose flu shot thing. Yeah, I just saw a headline about that, or maybe it was your blog. Yeah, it's probably just me um, on Facebook, just going a little nuts about it. I think that's what it was. So yeah, I've never even heard of a high-dose flu shot. Do tell. Yeah, so basically the theory is is that elderly people, the protection that the flu shot gives them wanes over time. That's with everybody. It just seems to do so more dramatically with elderly people. So the idea is if we dose them up, if we give them a higher-dose version of the flu shot, they'll respond better, have less hospitalizations, and maybe it'll last a little bit longer, you know, just start the peak a little bit higher, right? And the, you know, the data basically says, sure, like there's going to be an incremental gain by doing this high dose, but technically not worth like recommending specifically. So that's, that's like the current status of things is that the high dose shot does provide some sort of gain over the regular dose flu shot that everybody else gets for people over 65. It's just that it's not really, really, you know, like amazingly big. So the CDC, ACIP, the people that make the flu shot and the vaccination rules are like, just get a shot. I don't really care. You know, just get a shot every year. Right. But the marketing engine for this thing is in freaking full swing, and there is a very high demand for the high-dose flu shot. And again, like I'm okay with whatever flu shot you want to get, but what we end up having is we have this trade-off. So people are saying, well, I'll just wait, and I'll get the high-dose flu shot uh, once it becomes available. It's just the high-dose flu shot supply chain isn't as like robust as everything else. Plus, you know, the FDA is a little bit busy with this coronavirus thing. So um, there's some slowdown right now with uh, flu flu doses being released across the country. So uh, normally kind of trickle out trickles out end of August, early September, and then probably like November, like you could just get anything you want really, you know, Um, but everybody's getting immunized now. So essentially what happens is people are saying, well, I'm going to wait. I want to get this high dose flu shot. Uh, because I saw the commercial or somebody told me that I, I need that one. And and again, the standard advice is, is just get any flu shot because you need to be protected. And the flu season could potentially start early. It could start in October. So you need to be protected before that, right? And, uh, you know, so what what's going on right now is now there's a shortage. So now people are saying, well, I'm going to wait until it comes back because I only want that one. And that's not the correct 
thing, the next, the correct thought process. If you're going, yeah, if, that seems foolish, right? If, if you're going to, if it's September 1st and you're like, I'm going to wait two weeks, I'm okay with that because it's really, really rare for flu seasons to start or I guess peak any earlier than like January is the, what the statistics show. So it makes a lot of sense for somebody to say, you know, what, I'll, I'll wait. But when we're here now, we're mid September and two to three weeks for a potential release uh, and then two weeks to build immunity against flu from a, a vaccination, that's putting you like late October, early November, mid-November. And that's kind of playing it risky if you ask me, especially because I believe that uh, part of the reason that we're doing this is because of COVID, right? We're doing this and the, the big push, everybody wants to protect themselves from COVID. Yeah. And there's some speculation that getting immunized against any adult vaccine seems to be sort of protective against COVID. People who are vaccinated tend to do better than people that are not vaccinated. So they say, and who even knows, because they're telling me I have to wear a mask and that is ridiculous. So the so this idea of uh, like getting the immunization to help us with COVID, that makes sense. The other reason is like, we don't want you to have COVID and a flu. <laughs> so, cause then you're really yeah. toast, you know, especially if you're over 65. So the, the push needs to be like, let's get immunized as soon as humanly possible uh, to protect ourselves. Cause this year is really important. So I don't, I don't want people to wait and I don't want people to kind of fight or argue about it. It's like, I need that dose. Well, technically you don't, um, there's no, you know, overwhelming data that says, yes, this is, this is open and closed. You know, the, the jury has decided you are going to, uh, get voted off the, I, I don't know, whatever the shows do where they vote for people, there is no clear cut decision that you need to get this shot. Um, and it's just kind of frustrating because we have a lot of people that are now hearing after they've gotten the regular dose flu shot that they should get the high dose flu shot because their friends told them that they have to. So then they're like upset, <laughs> you know, they're upset because like, Hey, I didn't get the high dose one. How come you didn't tell me? And, and we tell, we, we literally tell everybody uh, about the difference uh, and have for uh, the, the two months that we've been doing it. So it's like this really weird, confusing time. And I say all of that to say what I've kind of hinted on, but it, it's literally just marketing. You know, the, this is a, a sort of like one of those things where, it's a me too drug that is slightly more advantageous um, uh, than a drug that's already on the market that might be a little bit cheaper and easier to get, you know, and yeah. it kind of has that. And this is the thing that most people reject about the pharmaceutical industry yet. Now it's like, we, we need to get this thing. So I just want everybody to, to know truly the, the expert consensus is just get any shot around middle September for your flu season at latest early October uh, and just get the shot because that's more important than getting like this brand name high dose thing until we have more conclusive data that says, yes, actually when we look at it in a population, it, it's great. And I, I just spent this afternoon, like just making sure that I wasn't saying the wrong thing to people and just looking at what everybody has CDC. There's, a, I think a trial from the 2018, 2019, uh, flu season. And basically, uh, it was, it was slightly better, you know, slightly better, uh, is the key word. So, uh, and I believe that I was reading an analysis from the VA that basically said you need to treat 50 people with a high dose flu shot to have one person benefit more. Um, so <laughs> great odds. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it's not, I mean, if it's, you know, one in 10, that would be fantastic. Uh, 
you know, that would mean like, yeah, we definitely want to do that, but it's, we're not really there. Right. So we're not, we're not there with it. So get your flu shot as soon as possible. And, um, and, and if, again, if you want to get the high dose flu shot, it's right there for you to get it, just get it. But otherwise get any other shot. I think I've made my point abundantly clear. Yeah. And just to piggyback on that, if I recall from our episode specifically about flu shots last year, you said that it right now is the prime time to get it so that you build immunity by the time flu season actually hits. So it's it's just really important to just get the flu shot now and stop fretting over whether or not it's high dose. Yeah, that's really I could have just said that and been done like five minutes ago, for sure. So uh, I'll just have you say it from <laughs> well, now you're on. you're welcome. <laughs> I'll just have you do that whole thing from now on. Um, uh, so I, there's some COVID stupidity that I just want to <laughs> address. Again, more social media nonsense, right? I'm out there in social media land trying to do the good thing, be inspirational, mm-hmm. be positive, try to put some good into the world since everybody's sharing stuff. It is exhausting to see how many people on a daily basis are just putting misinformation after propaganda, after lie, after nonsense. Somebody shared the most recent, the Chinese virologist that's proving that this thing was made in Wuhan in a lab. And yes, I saw that. The microbiologists have already kind of weighed in on this. It's not synthetic. Um, Again, I'm, I'm putting the asterisks up there that there of course could be a chance that it leaked from a lab but it wasn't necessarily synthesized in a lab. And again, I could just be spitballing on that last piece, but I'm, I'm just going to hold that out there just so I don't, I'm not like a hypocrite if it does come out later. But anyway, um, right. this, this virologist is funded by Steve Bannon. <laughs> and, okay. Yeah. And, uh, and it's obviously been disproven, but it's, you know, she's on a media show and they're calling her a whistleblower and she's a hero. And then at the same, in the same breath, the whistleblower about the stuff that's going on in the ICE detention centers, that's a criminal and they need to get, you know, it's just day after day after day, there's just this misinformation faucet getting poured into Facebook. You know, I'm, I'm with Sasha Baron Cohen, and he said that Facebook is literally to blame for most of our modern problems. And I kind of agree. The guys at Facebook have to just be like, you know what? There's a lot of people spending a lot of time. I don't care what they do. And you know what? If we're, if it makes them stay here longer, I'm just going to keep it going. I mean, that really has to be the only thing at the end of the day that they're doing because the just not controlling the lies, not controlling the misinformation – it, it's it's making everything worse for people, you know. It's making yeah. society worse, and so it just really sucks. So anyway, the the another thing that was going around was the meme about the CDC and the fires. Did you hear about this one? I did not. All right, this one's interesting. So we're gonna walk through it because I want your real reactions and I want your real questions. Okay, so. Mm-hmm. The CDC said that you cannot use your masks that you've been using for coronavirus to protect you against the fires in California, the smoke inhalation. Uh, uh, what? Right. So they say that you can't use your N95s to protect you against smoke inhalation. So then some people are saying, well, smoke is bigger than viruses. So if smoke can get through can't viruses get through? And then doesn't that prove that this whole mask thing's a sham? Doesn't it prove that the CDC is changing their mind 
quite often, and they're always flipper floppering, I think is the word that people use, the technical term. Mm. So tell me what you think about all of that. That that can't be right. I mean, you know, before. Okay, so obviously we know what like firefighters gear look like and they've got those huge masks, but the N95 mask seems like it would filter out smoke a and B um, like, yeah, I guess there is no B. Yeah. That, that sounds like a straight up lie. How could, how could it not be useful to filter smoke if we're trying to filter even smaller particles? Right. So from a superficial standpoint, you can see how somebody might be confused and what your reaction should be would be, well, let me ask somebody who knows more, right? Like not let me share this meme and it proves that masks don't work. Right. And that's the reaction that people should have is like, well, I'm curious about this, but instead it becomes like more, you know, fodder for them. And it's true. Smoke is bigger than viruses. We're not wearing the masks to block the virus though. What are we wearing the mask for? To protect other people from us potentially having the virus. We're using it to block boogers. Remember, micro boogers. That's what this whole thing is about. The respiratory droplets are much bigger than the virus, and they contain lots of virus, viral load, right? So it's like a water balloon or a balloon filled with glitter, right? So that's what the mask is blocking, those bigger droplets. And they do it very effectively, especially if you use better and better quality masks, Um, those really thin like neck guard things that you put up on your face. They don't really work very well, but surgical masks are obviously pretty good. Doctors have been using them for quite some time to, you know, prevent the spread of disease. And Hmm. this gets to the heart of the argument. If you remember, and actually Bill Gates just made some comments about this, uh, the other day, um, at the beginning of this, my advice and a lot of people's advice was don't wear the mask, right? Because the mask, you're not going to put it on your face, right? It's not going to block the virus, Right. And, uh, and just instead, just stay home, stay away from people that, and we need our PPP PPE to be used by our medical professionals. But then as things started to unfold, the, the countries that wore masks just kind of in their nature, because they're so used to this stuff, they said, Hey, look, they're doing much better. We started to get more data. And then the data kind of kept flowing that, the, we're not block. We're not trying to block the virus particles themselves, but the respiratory droplets that the uh, virus is suspended in. So, yeah. so yeah. So the smoke is bigger than a virus, but boogers are bigger than smoke. Okay. All right. So it's like well, rock paper scissors. Okay. So I, I understand that much, but then let me ask you this: uh, I thought that the N95 masks were the ones that did actually, you know, like they seal to your face and they do actually protect against inhaling as well as exhaling. I can't speak to that. Um, but the, I believe that it's not that great of a mask. And I also believe community use of masks isn't to the degree that it should be. Uh, I do know that in hospitals, they're wearing masks, multiple masks and face guards and everything on top of that um, to, you know, prevent any problems whatsoever. Um, But I believe that the mask data, and this is what we were all going by is like the mask data 
uh, only certain viruses are filtered out by true N95s. So okay, but that's why it sounded like a lie to me because mm-hmm. I I was under the impression that the N95s blocked inhale as well as exhale. Mm-hmm. And no, so that's why I was and, like, well, and, that just sounds like propaganda. Right. And, and, the, and the CDC did say this thing about the smoke. And if you Google CDC uh, smoke coronavirus, the first thing that comes up is PolitiFact that talks about this. And PolitiFact makes life easy with the three bullet points that you need to know about the article right up top. So there's literally no excuse. You have experts that you can ask. You have um, Google, and if you want to ask them, make sure that you're paying attention to the things that like discuss myths and misinformation and uh, to get your better information. So, uh, so it just pissed me off uh, because, you know, again, look, see, they're changing their mind. And this concept that you can't change your mind in science is, is something that really drives me nuts. Um, you know, it's seen as a weakness, uh, to change your position on something. Uh, and, yeah. and there really hasn't been a change in position. It has been a refinement of the recommendations, right? Um, because I think any purist will tell you that masks themselves may have a small benefit against coronavirus. It's the washing your hands, keeping the distance and wearing the mask along with the lockdowns that has such a tremendous impact on it. Right. right. We, we know a lot about like how far a booger micro booger will travel wearing a mask. And if you haven't done it accidentally yet, I've done it trying to blow out a candle while I'm wearing my mask, even my little <laughs> cloth one, I can't blow anything out. Right. So, uh, obviously the bigger po- particles and stuff are going to get stuck by your mask and that that's what we want to do. Um, so it's just, it's just upsetting to me because we have a lot of non-science folks uh, commenting and drawing life conclusions. And it really doesn't come down to anything except for like my team versus your team, you know? Uh, and what yeah. I try to say in the conversation is like, there's 6 billion people in the, on the globe that are probably wearing masks right now. I'd, I'd give it that about a billion people are probably dorks about it. Right. And they're not, not doing what they're supposed to do, but there's probably about 6 billion people that are wearing their masks and doing what they're supposed to do. It's not an American thing. It's not a political thing. It's a, this is the best science thing. And this is what we have to do. And even with the mask misinformation at the beginning, where they basically told people not to buy them, hopefully to try to like keep the PPE for the hospital staff. That's a failure of leadership as well, because the world health organization, CDC, they, they, uh, you know, CDC, especially, you know, that's something that the president can control. So even if the messaging was incorrect, we needed somebody to actually take ownership of this and then get the proper messaging out as soon as possible. Uh, But the problem has been like this just overwhelming amount of conflict, which then makes stuff like this very believable and makes people feel distrusting of the systems. Right. And, and that's all, all, all unnecessary. And it's really annoying. And the worst part is, is that in this Facebook discussion, um, a high school science teacher was the one that shared this information and was most passionate about the discussion. So Ah. I I said, my children will not be using that high school professor. (laughs) I will do everything I can to make sure that never happens. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know what that always, okay. So this is whimsical yet relevant. That kind of stuff when it comes to teachers really bugs me because you know that I spell my name a little bit differently. And usually when people mispronounce it, I let it slide. 
But when I was in elementary school and high school and we would have like a substitute and they would trip over my name, I would just get really frustrated and be like sounded out. And if they got mad at me for being like insubordinate because I was a little kid, I'm like, well, you're the teacher. Mm -hmm. You should be able to figure out five letters. Yeah. Like that extra E shouldn't be tripping you up. And it it concerns me when I uh, when you see like teachers just I don't know, they just have their heads up their butts. I don't I, I I'm as frustrated as you are with all yeah. this misinformation. Yeah. Well, then we talk about like politics and stuff like that. And uh, high school teachers are calling me a socialist and I'm like, uh, you're a high school history professor. You should know what socialism is, <laughs> you know, yeah. and know that I'm not a socialist, you know, but anyway, moving on, I want to talk about weight yes. loss because I'm off the wagon. Uh Oh, it happened. So this is what happens. We had a fun dinner out and I planned, I said, listen, I'm going to imbibe a little bit extra. So I'm going to go light today and a light tomorrow. And I did that. Everything was good. So I did my normal thing. But then my wife made banana nut freaking chocolate chip muffins. And then the next oh, day, wow. these decadent brownies, right? And so if I have one, I'm going to have 12. And it's a real problem. And I've, I've made sure yesterday, like my caloric intake was hopefully like net net for the day, but this is how it happens. And this is where people fall into the pit. So you could be doing good. And then it's just like one little excursion can really kind of trigger those bad habits for you. And then if stuff starts to fall out in a line, cause this is what I'm seeing now is that my birthday's in a week and I know we're going to be having some good food. Right. And mm -hmm. then Halloween is right after that Thanksgiving, Christmas, right? The holiday season, it just starts piling on. So it really uh, takes a lot of effort for people to kind of stay in the wagon and it does stink. Like you want to just kind of eat whatever until you, you hate yourself, you know, um, mm -hmm. and uh, you just have to make up for it. So I just wanted to say, Hey, I'm a little bit off the wagon. I'm going to, you know, take the next couple of days to try to get back on. So. Well, if it's any consolation, I'm there with you. You know <laughs> that I have been dealing with some stuff in my personal life and it's the kind of stuff where people drop off comfort food. Yeah. And I just weighed myself today and I I have completely undone everything that I did for the first six months of the year. And, you know, that coupled with the knee injury and, you know, like my my back going out again. And so I've been uh, less mobile anyway. It's just really difficult even to walk right now. And so between being sedentary and having like cookies and pastries dropped off at the house, it's, I, I just, you know, I knew it was going to happen, but right. my resolve to get back on the wagon as soon as I am, you know, like as soon as my back's better and I start working on strengthening my knee, you know, it's just like it, it sucks i wish i hadn't like completely put back on all that weight but i know you know you just start again like no matter what you just can't get discouraged because it, it is you know your health and getting older neil you're about to be 40 aren't you four zero is happening oh, on september baby. 28th i'm excited yep. about it i'm disappointed that i can't have a party because i wanted to have yeah. a nice one because my wife had a 30th birthday and i didn't get one two two years later and uh what? and then she had a 40th birthday and i was gonna have one and now i'm not gonna have a party so um well i had a rockin 40th birthday but i'm not gonna have a 41st party so whatever yeah. who cares about turning 41 anyway who cares 
Um, so it's important that you get your weight under control, eat clean because it's good for yeah. your immune health. And that's what we're talking about today is immune health. So yes, sir. I actually, in my most recent article, I talked about this and I want to just kind of go over some topics, maybe go into a little bit more detail that I didn't cover there. Uh, maybe talk about colloidal silver a little bit because I didn't mention it. Uh, but I actually highlighted our conversation from the glutathione podcast, which was basically like me going on and on and on about how glutathione doesn't work. And this doctor is like Looney Tunes and he just makes his uh, livings telling everybody <laughs> that he needs to, everybody needs to take glutathione. And, you know, sometimes a broken clock is right, what, twice a day or something like that. I don't know what the phrase is. But anyway, at the end of it, you were like, well, why don't I just take it? It's not going to hurt me, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. Like that's where it comes down to like at the end of the day, the supplement industry wants you to be confused. They want you to be afraid and they want you to think that you can do something just in case, uh, because yeah. that's really good for them. You buy something, uh, it doesn't do anything good or bad and you keep taking yeah. it just in case. And so there's nothing wrong with wanting to improve your lot in life. There's nothing wrong with trying to get a competitive advantage in any aspect that you want, you know, uh, but you just have to know that the industry does better when you reach for that stuff. So that being said, I, I know that I'm pretty much just banging my head against the wall, trying to tell people to not do stuff. And instead I should say, if you're going to do stuff, let's just do it smarter. Okay. So I offered a alternatives or better forms to the leading immune health products these days, the ones that are being promoted for both COVID and just general cold and flu season. That yes. being said, we've talked about cough and cold on the podcast, the blog article. I tell people to build up a cough and cold first aid kit that is just in the house in the case you get a scratchy sore throat. That includes zinc lozenges, just to knock it down, a little bit of high dose echinacea made by Gaia herbs called quick defense, and then some of our sinus blaster and bronchial syrup. Uh, and if you have all four of those things, you don't have to leave the house and you can prevent and treat all of your colds really, really effectively. That being said, Beautiful. uh, there's other stuff that people want to do. And so let's kind of go through each one of those. So vitamin A is being promoted as a COVID cure. The thought process is, is that Vitamin A is really important for immune function and it regulates immune response and immune processes. And here, here's my thing about all of this stuff is like the immune system is so complicated and most of the effects that they're talking about are at the molecular level. And we don't, there's really no connection to like clinical benefit, right? Taking extra vitamin A isn't going to make you get sick less frequently or make your cold less severe or shorten it completely, right? We don't have that data. The people that are talking about this stuff are like, oh, well, vitamin A is used in like this signaling pathway and they get into all the complicated science. So for a consumer, you're like, oh, wow, I need, I need upregulation of my NRT receptors, you know, like that kind of a thing. <laughs> and it, yeah. at the end of the day, it doesn't really help. So, so I just, whenever I see all of the complex mechanisms of actions for immune health on things like this, I just kind of go, oh, it does stuff in the immune system because that's really as far as you should take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, and it's one of those things when it comes to micronutrients in the immune system. If you have ample or more than you normally need, you're not going to fare better, right? But if you're deficient, 
you're going to fare worse. So this isn't really, you're taking it to like upgrade your video card to the newest NVIDIA graphics card. You're not doing that. You're taking it just to make sure that you never get deficient because if you're deficient, then you'll be weaker and at more risk. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? It does. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, the problem is there. A, go ahead. Sorry. Quick question. Is there a way to tell if you're deficient or is it only a blood test? Like, that, are, are, that's actually a really good question. One of your best questions I'll say. Um, Thank you. you're welcome. That's uh, not really that great of a question. I'm just joking. No. Okay. Now, now I'm joking again. So the, the idea so of the, the idea of uh, testing for your micronutrient levels uh, is something that I've covered before. Most of those tests are really unnecessary and don't really tell us much of anything. There are some important levels to check. You've you know them: iron, folate, B twelve. They'll check you know other uh, vitamins when it's necessary, but most of the time they're not really checking your vitamin A or vitamin C levels. They can, but it's not really, really, it's kind of like a flash in the pan. If you, if you eat a tomato, you know, your vitamin A levels are going to go up pretty high for a, a period of time, you know? And so there, it's not really, I guess, uh, what I keep saying is clinically relevant. So testing your mm-hmm. vitamin, your micronutrient levels doesn't really tell much of a story. Now, if you have symptoms of a disease that could be related to nutrient deficiency, then we would get that test done. So that's mostly like third world countries. That's not here. That's not in modern society. We don't really have clinically relevant deficiencies like that. So what does happen though, is there's a gap typically between what would be ideal and what the average person consumes. And so the, the, the way to solve that is to close the gap by eating healthy foods. Um, so that's the easy fix. And that's kind of what I, I encourage people to do. If you want to know what that is, you can go to the National Institute of Health, NIH, and you can look at the Office of Dietary Supplements. There they have monographs for each of the micronutrients that you would care about, all the stuff that would be found in multivitamins and stuff like that. So you can look at vitamin A. And then they have the survey results. I think the last survey was five or 10 years ago when they just surveyed, you know, random sampling of people to determine what their intake is of these things. And they found, okay, so in this survey, we found that most people are 200 micrograms too low in vitamin A, you know, and that's where I'll say, you know, that, that's, that makes sense for people to say, okay, I want to take some extra vitamin A. So I'm not that guy that is a little bit deficient, but I, I don't want people to have that instinct. The instinct shouldn't be, I'm going to take something to fill the gap. It's I'm going to make sure that I eat vitamin A rich foods, right? Because that's really what the survey is saying. It's not saying that this is an opportunity for multivitamins. This is an opportunity for you to improve your diet. If you're deficient in protein, I don't want your first reaction to go, Hey, Neil, can I get some of that myosep? I mean, that's good. Good for me. Good for my kids college, you know, payments and stuff. But, um, what I'd like you to do is say, should I eat some more chicken or beans or, or whatever, you know, um, to get to my protein goals. So, uh, when it comes to vitamin A, the problem is, is that most products are high dose synthetic form. So I, I actually have a word for this HD Sims, high dose synthetic isolated micronutrients. That's my word. And retinal palmitate, is going to be seven times the RDA. So seven times what you need in a daily basis is what you're going to find in most supplements. Um, 
the thing about vitamin A, if you've smoked ever um, or smoke currently, you're at a higher risk of lung cancer from taking vitamin A supplements. So none oh. of, yeah, none of that is good, especially because everybody's doing the puff puff pass thing with the little, the little uh, vape flutes, right? Yeah. So you have to be very, very, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> you have to be very, very careful uh, with all of that. Now, that being said, there are lots of supplements that you could use. There are whole food powders that have like dark leafy greens or any of the berries or, you know, like tomatoes or, or any of that stuff that would be rich in beta carotene, natural vitamin A or vital greens and reds, for example, is, is what I, I showed there. You don't have the same liabilities because we're not mega dosing you on vitamin A and then you're getting all that other great stuff. Um, the other nice thing is that some of those products are rich in another bad boy on the list is vitamin C. We you hate vitamin C. I hate the worship of vitamin C. That's what I hate. I don't want to be okay. judgmental against uh, micronutrients. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> vit vitamin C is important for our immune health, without a doubt. I know that. Uh, it plays a role in almost all of our immune cells. And when you get sick, bub, your body chews through it. Uh, and when you're deficient in vitamin C, you'd get sick way more often, right? Um, mm -hmm. Problem is that we're not even close to being deficient in vitamin C. I forgot. Now I can't even remember the number, but it's like they, they starved people of vitamin C from every dietary source. And it still took them about four months to get deficient in vitamin C. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah. That sounds, yeah. Cause I'm 10 weeks is coming to my mind. Yeah. Cause I remember you talking about this. Yeah. And so, and so we, it's, it's, it's a lot. So you, you're not ever going to be really deficient in vitamin C. Now, vitamin C does help people from that, like clinically relevant immune boosting. Do I get sick more? Do I get sick less intensely? Uh, do I, uh, can I treat my cold? But it's really a small subset of people where it makes a difference. It's the people that like work outside in the cold or like the psychos that are marathon runners and like are out there in the cold running 26 <laughs> miles. The, those people God bless you, but, uh, no, uh, you, you should be using vitamin C, uh, and you should, it's just way easier to sit down on your couch. I mean, think about how much less sweating you would do, you know, so you wouldn't even need to take the vitamin C, but those people are the ones that get the benefit from taking vitamin C, um, for their immune health. The rest of us, no, I, I mean, I think that we just worship vitamin C and it's not natural. I've said this a dozen times. Vitamin C is comes from corn. China's the largest supplier of ascorbic acid or vitamin C normally from GMO corn, but you know, GMO doesn't, you know, I, I'm not one of those guys. Uh, but the, the dose again, it's factors greater than what we need. We need about 50 to 70 milligrams, maybe 90 milligrams a day. And most people are taking 500 to a thousand, if not more right now of vitamin C. So what's natural about that? To me, that sounds like a drug. It sounds like a purified chemical at a mega dose versus what we were found in our food. So let's yeah, not and with, um, BS ourselves. Exactly. And with oranges just always being available, it makes more sense just to have an orange every day. Yeah. Or an apple or just anything because just a small amount of vitamin C is going to be good. Eat a mojito, uh, you know, add that to your, your school bus driving route, you know, just drink mojitos while you're doing that because the lime and the mojito will probably be sufficient. I don't know. That is truly the winning solution. <laughs> so we have whole food vitamin C products that we'll recommend to people if you're looking for that. And people will look at that bottle and go, oh my God, uh, it says a hundred milligrams of vitamin C. That's insulting to me that you would give me such a low number. And that's, 
again, the point is our bodies really optimally absorb about 200 milligrams of vitamin C. We don't really need much more than that at any given time. Um, so this 500, 1000 big numbers, we're just obsessed with it. And, um, so you don't really need those big numbers. Um, and that being said, some people still are looking for it. So I've got a compromise and we call it ultimate bio C. So it's a high, higher dose of vitamin C, like 500 milligrams or a thousand. And then it has a high dose of, uh, bioflavonoids, which are often like accompanying vitamin C rich foods. It's like the, the kind of colorful part of the plant. And it, uh, has lots of benefits in the body in inflammation, blood flow, those kinds of things. So if you are looking for a vitamin C, you're insistent that you get one, we would tell you and, um, hands down ultimate bio C is the way to go. Nice. Yes. I know. It's very nice. Vitamin D is something that we shouldn't have to disagree on. Vitamin D does have some direct relationship to improving your chances with respiratory diseases. Same as before. If your levels are low, you're going to fare worse. If your levels are normal, you'll, you'll respond normally. The problem is, is that most of our levels are low, right? And the problem with vitamin D right now is that because we now have some data tying it to COVID saying that this is true, not just for flu and respiratory illnesses, but also for COVID too, everybody wants to get their vitamin D levels up in 24 hours. So there, these practitioners are like, you got to take 50,000 units a day for a week. And that is too much. I say, mm -hmm. if you're going to try to boost up your levels, cap it at like 7,000 units a day, roughly equivalent to the prescription dose that we would use. If you're taking D3, your levels will go up. Do that for no more than 12 weeks and then back it down to one to 2,000 units a day. Uh, your level only has to be at about 75 to be optimal as per the Endocrine Society. And that's really the most that we should shoot for. So definitely, definitely, definitely include vitamin D into your mix, but please do not take too much of it. I think I told this story on the podcast. I, I don't know if I mentioned it last week, but I've mentioned it before. Gary Knoll's a, like a famous, you know, natural influencer guy and mm -hmm. his contract manufacturer almost killed him and like 140 people because they miscalculated yeah. the vitamin D dose in the product. And they were, yeah, you did. Um, it, it was earlier in the summer. Yeah. 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 So we have to be, but careful yeah, that's that. still a crazy story. It is a crazy story. The, you know, again, the story that I shared last week still rattling me to the bones because, you know, 900 brands, little companies of people that are, they look like me, right? They're out there trying to make people healthier, doing this whole podcast thing, and they want to make their own supplements. So they just call up a company and the company <laughs> makes the product for them. And then <laughs> they're, they're not even like making the stuff. They're shipping it overseas. Uh, there's all sorts of horrible problems going on. Lots of adulteration. It's, it's really scary. So uh, yeah. So just anyway, back, back to the immune health thing. Cause that's what I said we would talk about. Uh, zinc mm -hmm. lozenges are now coming up. There's a lot of people are pushing zinc. And if you recall from the early COVID conversations, zinc lozenges help for colds and they're a part of my cough and cold tackle box, you know, but mm -hmm. the idea of taking zinc lozenges every day to help prevent this coronavirus is a bad idea because you'll end up losing your taste buds in a matter of moments. And then pe yeah. people are like, oh, well, I, th I heard zinc is good for your immune health. And that is true. Zinc is another one of those minerals, micronutrients that are used by our body and specifically by the immune cells of our body. And that's great, you know, but how many of us are going to be truly deficient in vitamin C? And if we take extra uh, vit and zinc, and if we take extra, is that 
going to actually help us? And at the end of the day, no. Zinc lozenges, very helpful, especially scratchy sore throat. But taking daily zinc, it's going to be a minimal impact, especially if you're doing everything else correctly. Um, that being yeah. said, people want it. They want zinc. So here's the secret. Get a chelated zinc, a true chelate of zinc, and keep your doses less than 30 milligrams. Zinc at higher doses can actually start to affect your hormone levels. So a lot of people Uh-oh. don't take that that warning seriously, and you should. So keep the amount of zinc low. Use zinc lozenges if you have a cough and cold. But don't worry about zinc for coronavirus. We talked about glutathione at length, ad nauseum. So I'm not even going to cover that. But if you're, you have this compulsion to get glutathione, skip it. N-acetylcysteine, 600 milligrams. That'll give you ample cysteine to produce ample glutathione. And if it does make a difference, that's all you'll need. Now, that being said, a well-made protein supplement like Myosep will contain lots of immune strengthening factors and particularly the cysteine. Uh, There's a lot of cysteine found in there. So you're making lots of healthy glutathione eating cysteine-rich proteins. So just don't forget proteins fit into this uh, glutathione conversation too. Uh, I guess the, what we'll do is we'll do elderberry and mushrooms and then that'll be enough for me. I don't know about you, but, um, mushrooms we've talked about at length, Sky Chilton, he's my bro, uh, real mushrooms. He's doing a lot of good stuff, educating people about how to get real mushrooms and get the real health benefits. They're awesome. Mushrooms are the thing that I would recommend people to take on a regular basis. If you want to do something for your immune health, some of them have direct antiviral activity. Some of them will do the funky stuff to the immune system to a point where it actually may make a difference for some people based on the papers that are out there, right? The problem being that most mushrooms on the market aren't real mushrooms. In fact, they're just sugar, they're rice, uh, listen to that old episode. If you want to hear more, I don't want to bore anybody, but literally the leading brands of mushrooms on the market are not active mushrooms. They're just the root system on rice. And that's what you're paying for. So, uh, five defenders is the blend that real mushrooms makes. That's the, uh, five immune rich, uh, mushrooms. Uh, so take that every day. If you'd like a mushroom for immune health, that's, that's that and vitamin D are the, the two big ones here. And it's elderberry season, elderberry. So we talked about elderberry a bunch along with our other elderberries. Just make sure that you know that um, a lot of the products, especially like these capsules and gummies and all of that weird stuff, it's just like the new CBD thing. It's like everything's dilute. So you're not going to get enough elderberry taking those silly little products. Take a a real elderberry syrup that tastes like garbage. Um, Don't get the ones that are all sugared up. Um, our elderberry tastes like garbage because it's so potent. Um, it it will have like a tart bite to it. So, um, you can use that every day if you like. The truth is that elderberry really helps out. It seems with flu symptoms. And so you have to have an active flu in order for it to be the most beneficial, but some people are taking it every single day. And that's, that's it. I mean, like if you talk about what am I going to do for my winter immune health to stay healthy, well, we have to remember all of the stuff that we do is going to be much more important than the stuff that we take. So we have to clean up our food. We have to stop with the sugars and inflammatory stuff. And if you want, you know, a specific food, what a specific food can help out with my health? Well, cysteine rich proteins that will help increase your glutathione, lots of fruits and veggies. Those are rich in vitamin A and vitamin C. All of that is very important. Stay, stay nice and hydrated. Eat, eat cleanly, get rest mm. because Obviously, if you're 
strung out and not sleeping, your immune system is going to be haywire. Manage your stress, which uh, I have to say is once again peaking. Like I feel like we we keep hitting this this ceiling that I didn't think that we would hit. <laughs> and <laughs> no. as we march towards November, it keeps getting a little bit more amped up. But there's like it's definite like ebbs and flows. And you know, for a while, like two weeks in a row, my consults were all related to anxiety and stress. So. Um, I believe it. uh, it's, it's now ramping back up again. So be careful. Uh, of course, get your immunizations. We talked enough about flu shots today. Uh, and then, you know, probiotics, very beneficial for immune health, especially in the gut and vitamin D that's part of the vital five. That should be what you're doing anyway. If you're picking up supplements, it should be those core nutrients because those have the best data. Build up your cough and cold first aid kit with those remedies that I was talking about earlier. And then if you need to buy something, here's what you're going to buy. Five defenders for the mushrooms, elderberry syrup from us, easy zinc, a chelated lower dose zinc, N-acetylcysteine, and then ultimate bio-C, which is bioflavonoids. So if your regimen looks like that, congratulations, you're doing really good. If it doesn't, let's get it cleaned up. You can do a consult with me for free and we'll beat up your regimen and make sure you're only taking supplements that actually will do something. Dana, how did I do? Did I do better while you were here or, or what? <laughs> uh, you did great, man. I mean, all that all right. sounds awesome. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a good time, you know, again, I'm, I'm just going to leave it out there. You don't have to, you don't have to do any of this stuff at all. So, uh, if, if you, you know, wash your hands, stay away from small children, you'll, you'll probably be fine as well. So, so that's going to do it for us, man. I'm glad to have you back, Dana. Uh, until next time, everybody, back. you're happy to be back. Totally, man. I missed you. Oh, that's so nice. I missed you too. Yeah. It's, uh, can't you tell how sincere I sound? Yeah. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. On that note. On that note, until next time, keep listening, keep learning, and be well. <laughs>